CJ. And I'm PB. And we're back. Uh-huh. We're still Gahooligans, despite it all. And we're back at the Shattering, part two, which yeah. is basically page 100 on. We certainly are. Um, do we have a Miles Minute to start us off? The Miles Minute is that he is, for the first time, getting a pig snout, which still had hair on the pig I, snout. I don't want to gross. I guess they listened to owls. They we did Eating. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's no more gross than what we talked about in the book. There was still hair on the pig snout, and he's gonna love it. Mm-hmm. You do spoil that dog. I love that dog. Well, yeah. He's a nuisance and an active obstacle to any recording ever. Unless we bribe him. Unless we bribe him, and sometimes even then. Anyway, you ready for book stuff? Yeah, uh... Listener, it's been as long for us as it has been for you, so, uh... Let's start, let's just see if I could pat, piece together <laughs> the shattered... The shattering, if you're going to piece together the shattering. The the shattered remains of the narrative we were going through that still might live in my head, uh, which is Eglantine has been having a bad time. She kind of feels uh, outcast, not outcast, but like she doesn't... Left like, out. Yeah, left out. Like, she has one friend, and that friend is a proper guardian, and she isn't, and that feels bad. And then she starts getting taken under the wing of a new owl named Ginger, who is a supposedly defected Pure One, who is pretty much just a Pure One spy, um, who eventually takes her to go see a owl who is definitely her mother, and definitely not her evil sister-in-law. And very importantly, has been putting stuff in her bedding. Like, has actively been brainwashing Eglantine this whole time. Yes. So Eglantine has been going back and forth between the beaks, uh, which has also had associations with uh, weird brain things in the past, back in, like, the journey. Temptation, specifically. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was the place you couldn't leave, the place that gave you everything you wanted. Uh -huh. And what does Eglantine want? She wants her family. Her, she wants her old life back. So she's been kind of living two contradictory lives in harmony with each other. Or at least, so that's what it feels like to her. Living with her mother and her uh, conspicuously absent brother and father at the Beaks. And uh, hard to say what the end goal here is with this whole plot, uh, but probably ruin Eglantine's day and therefore also Soren's. Uh, kind of. Uh, most importantly, Eglantine spent a lot of time bringing books and book pages. Oh, yes, yes. She out was of doing... the library, uh, specifically books on Flex. Mm -hmm. The few that Dulap failed to destroy. Yes. Flex and the owl brain and the humors of the body, and she's been bringing them all to her mother. Yep, yep. And I think where we left off, Primrose, her bestie, decided that she was going to follow and see where Eglantine keeps going. And uh, 
Primrose did not make it to the Beaks, or at least did not come back. Primrose did not come back from the Beaks, and that is when everybody else notices something wrong. Um, Eglantine hasn't really noticed anything wrong at that point, except she's she's still thinking, like, Primrose left, and she asked me, like, what makes a friend, and that friends aren't jealous. And that's kind of what sends Eggie into the land of doubt. Uh-huh. It It does sort of feel like it comes out of nowhere cuz she's she's really she's so out of it mm-hmm. PB she's she's so far gone by the midpoint of this book yeah but also she really does care about prim she does but there are times in this book where that's not felt mm-hmm. and where she she kind of has forgotten that prim yeah, is supposed yeah. to be her friend i think there's enough of an external stimulus once other people are saying Hey, where's Primrose that reminds her, like, oh, I used to care about her. What's going on here? There was a piece right near the end that we you read last time where it was just kind of like Eglantine's dissociation, like, yeah. am I even a person anymore? Yeah. Um, and so everything from this midpoint on is going to be Eglantine picking up the pieces. Um, and we're going to get this phrase repeated. Catherine Lasky is is on her pellets in the last yes. half of this book. Yeah. Um. She is feeling herself writing-wise. I don't usually have to pull out my English degree for children's books. Um, Well, then why are we doing this show? (laughs) Because I want to pull out my English degree for children's books. Okay, so usually you you don't have to, but you still want to. But in this case, I could. I get to use words. Like, anaphora. Anaphora is back, y'all. Catherine Lasky's got it. And honestly, it doesn't always work. But it is, like, so much more of a stretch of her writing chops. All right, I take it we're going straight into Owl Vocab Corner. Would you like to? Well, anaphora, like, that's got to be an owl word, right? (laughs) No. Well, what's anaphora, then? Repetition, but only in a specific circumstance. We'll get to that later. Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, Should I try to give you a recap of the second half of this book? Oh, please. Alright, um, Eggie's realized that something is wrong, so she's got to go back to the Beaks to figure out if her mother's really her mother. So, she'll go back to the Beaks, and she'll start to interrogate her mother until there'll be some lie that doesn't quite come through, and then Plud will show up and be very menacing, and it's going to look like things are going to go very bad, and then the band will show up and save the day. But Eglantine will get to do something impactful so she feels like a real guardian, and then at the end of the book she becomes a guardian. <laughs> oh, Eglantine is going to do something impactful, and we will glox and get to that. Does she scar Naira's face? No. Worse. Oh, no, wait, no, because Naira has an egg, the orb, the sacred orb. The sacred orb. Uh-huh. Which is not the orb that ends up hatching eventually in a future book. That's a different orb. Correct. Do you yeah. remember what happens to this orb? Uh, it gets hard-boiled, right? Yes. Yeah, I think I kind of remember, <laughs> so yeah. I'm just going to say it gets hard-boiled. Pretty much. Yeah, we have another forest fire at the end of this, don't we? We do. We these do. owls don't know how to not set things on fire. Well, I kind of want to discuss... Okay, there's a lot to discuss here. All right, let's, <laughs> let's jump back, though. Let's... Uh, that was my high-level summary. We'll see how correct I was as we go. Your first owl vocab word. Yes. 
What does it mean for the night to show its bones? Uh, I want to keep this podcast from having an explicit rating, so I think I'm just going to have to, um, yeah, I'm going to have to respectfully uh, abstain. (laughs) You don't want to hear about skeletons in the sky? I mean, I don't know, it just, something about that sounds essentially dirty to me, and I don't know why. No, it's October, think creepy. Okay, so it's when skeletons dance through the sky? I, I don't know, I'm... Lightning cracked the sky, flaying the blackness of night, showing its bones, as owls said. Each time a bolt sent its jagged white fire across the night, Soren flinched. That whiteness bothered him. Why? He'd flown through electrical storms before. It was all part of being a member of the weather charm. Point of order. Is... Is this the narrator saying electrical storms, or is that Soren thinking electrical storms? I wondered the same thing. I think it's Soren saying electrical storms, which it does imply that the owls know what electricity is. Well, they know, they understand, they have a, uh, uh, adjective that's electrical, which means they have some concept of that. Uh, electric, right, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it, that's just interesting <laughs> to me. One of those owls has got to go fly a kite. <laughs> Do they, or... Do they just have to be struck by lightning themselves? Well, the whole idea is you fly the kite so you don't get struck by lightning yourself. Well, sure, but they're flying, and they're flying with metal, so, like, they are the kite. Yeah, this is a bad night for Metal Beak to be out. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Although, what, do birds have to worry about being struck by lightning because they're not grounded? Oh, that's a good point. Scientifically, that makes sense. It's like, but know- also, if you're flying with metal, does it matter? Yeah, but if there's, like, a piece of level, like, levitating, I don't think you'll get struck. It's only when metal, like, comes down to the ground that it's actually a problem. That's, like, why, like, cars aren't in danger from lightning for the most part, because they're touching the ground with rubber, which doesn't conduct. I could be wrong about that. Well, this is not electricity fact corner. This is, like, it's not even owl fact corner. No, this is just vocabulary. This is just vocabulary. Anyway, I wanted to read this passage. It it does go on, you know, (laughs) blackness fractured by bony streaks of lightning and deranged skeletons dancing an eerie jig across the sky. It's like, it's a level up Uh in descriptive writing. Yeah, yeah. This feels like we're trying a little bit, not to say that she hasn't tried in the past, but like, she's putting in some extra effort here that the book probably didn't really call for, but she felt like writing. Right, exactly. Not that she couldn't before, but uh-huh. wow, she decided to stretch you know, those you got, chops. Uh-huh. Like, you gotta think about, like, you know, you're writing to a very specific audience with these books. And, like, you know, if you do too much of that, then you're gonna lose the kid's interest. I will be honest. I I do wonder if some of if that happened to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of the vocab that she's pulling out, conflagrations and tumultuous maneuvers and on formations the, and bilateral attack patterns. On the other hand, for a reader like you and me, like, reading this as a kid, those words just make you feel smart, because True. you are, if you're a higher-level reader, like, both of us were, you know, we both read ahead of our age level as kids, you know, we're doing a children's book podcast now, of course we were, uh, you know, advanced <laughs> readers as kids, then uh, being able to, like, figure out the meanings of those words from context, and at least feeling like you understood their definitions, even if you couldn't actually define them properly, like, that was a great way to feel smart as a reader. I could see that being a problem for a lower-level reader, though. It gets... 
I think this is about as purple prosy as I have seen Catherine Lasky get, and it's mm-hmm. almost it's almost too much. It it's a lot. <laughs> I just want you to know, passages like that are constant. Yeah, yeah. But that is the weather that we follow Eglantine through as she and Ginger fly to the Hollow to do exactly what you said they were going to uh-huh. do. And Soren's following this time. Soren, the the. The book jumps around, and time is a little wibbly-wobbly, okay, timey-wimey so thing. Know. So we don't quite know. We know that Soren knows something is off, and we know that Soren will be leaving soon because they know Primrose is gone. Um, but it's it's unclear how much time is actually passing. Can we roll the tape back for a second? Did you use the full phrase, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey? Is it copyrighted? No, just... We've talked recently that, like, we both enjoyed Doctor Who, like, back in, like, high school and college days, and neither of us has really, like, touched it in years. I just find it fascinating that that still lives in your vocabulary. <laughs> I lived on Tumblr, okay? Yeah, I know. It's just, that's, a. Uh... I was no, a super who loved yeah, I No, I, I gotta kill the part of myself that cringes. Kill the part of yourself that cringes. We're, we're reading Guardians of Gahul. We're reading Guardians of Gahul. Do not come at me with my... Wibbly wobbly tiny whiny crap. Uh huh. Is crap an owl swear? Nah, crap's fine. <laughs> Alright, where what were we talking about? Oh like, we're about to talk about whether or not Eglantine can summon lightning. That's uh-huh. what we're about to talk about. So on page one twenty three here, we get a really clunky retelling of how Soren learned that he had Starsight. Uh-huh. At the very end of the last book. Like, yeah. Because the last book, it was so rushed, we have to have a recap here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I find it interesting that that's brought up. And here's why. I mean, we've both been watching a lot of anime these last couple months, so, like, flashing back to something that happened, you know, a hundred pages ago, it's, it's not that out of taste of what we've been watching. Okay, so while I read this passage, just keep in mind, Soren does actually have superpowers, right? Yeah. And at the beginning of this book, Eglantine wondered, like, Soren's special and has star sight? Why can't I? I might dream of my dead mother. Just keep that in mind. This... Yeah, like, Yoda did say there was another. <laughs> this is her Leia moment. Yeah, going back. So this is Eggie figuring out that Nyra is not her mother. It's Eggie. Mum called me Eggy, not Darling, she roared. Eglantine now knew this was not her mum, nor just any dream mum. This was Nyra, the deadly mate of Clud, and now Nyra was moving towards her with a savage look in her eyes. Her beak dropped open, ready to stab. Then, an immense crack split the night. Primrose felt every feather on her body stand up. Eglantine stared as Nyra's feathers stuck stiffly straight out from her body and quivered. Next, there was a terrible sizzling sound, and suddenly, the fir tree burst into flames. So that's how they escape with the egg. Yes, awesome. Well, how did Primrose get here? Um, Primrose got caught following Eglantine last time, was put into a sack, and then pretended to be shattered, Mm -hmm. but was not. Yeah, just, oh, yeah, it got me. 
Pretty much, yeah. She's captured for all of one chapter, so it's mm-hmm. very much just like an oversight. Alright, so Eglantine calls down lightning. Another classic. That's, okay, so another this is cla- entirely my interpretation. Uh, another classic Anakin move. Use some lightning. Actually, does he ever use lightning? No, it's only an Emperor thing. Yeah. But it's certainly a dark side power. I'm just saying, it certainly feels like she calls lightning there. Yeah. She could also just be incredibly lucky. I mean, and it's it's not at all against these books M.O. to have, you know, the cinematic lightning strike uh-huh. at just the right moment. And also, but I, I like my idea better. Also, I don't know if it's possible for these books to have a climax without something being on fire. True. Honestly, we would not we would not be able to win the fight that we're headed into if it wasn't on fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Eglantine breaks her mind control pretty easily, all things considered, after a lot of struggle. And then has the thought of like, if we take this egg, we have power. Uh-huh. Like that is an active thought in her yeah. brain, which is kind of dark. Uh-huh. She even acknowledges that this is her nephew. She has a whole philosophical, like, nature versus nurture. How is mm-hmm. this How is this owlet going to be raised? Yep. If it is a good owlet and it's not evil from birth, what it, it will have a terrible life with yeah. Naira. So I'm just going to steal this egg. Uh-huh. That question of nature versus nurture is going to come back pretty hard in books 7 and 8. It least. definitely felt like a setup. Mm-hmm. It was. It was kind of... Like, it was a little disjointed in this book, but I see why we have the argument there, why we're having that philosophical discussion, and why we'll need it later. Yeah, yeah. We also have a secondary discussion. I know I've already talked about this. I feel like I beat a dead horse here. Um, Now, Primrose knew that Eglantine realized that you could die for something. Mm, mm-hmm. Not yep. just, you know, not just loss as death, but you could die fighting against something you hated. You could die for something you loved. You could die for freedom. The freedom of the Owl Kingdoms. Uh And if that's not the most 2001... Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we talked about this a lot Uh, last episode. We did. It's back. Mm -hmm. It's here. Yep. And it's gonna come back one more time, so I have to mention it again. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Alright, but we've, we've talked about death. At least, you know, Death and meanings of death. Plenty here. Oh, speaking of death and meanings of death, um, you have the opportunity to name a, an owl squad whatever you want. What do you name it? Um, the Talons of Death? I mean, honestly, that's pretty good. Okay, I'm gonna pitch one to you. You tell me about Naira Annihilators. I see what they're going for. Do you? doesn't quite work. Yeah, because it's kind of palindromic. Not at all. No, it's not palindromic, but it's there's an assonance there for sure. There is an assonance there. The the Naira Annihilators. Now, who do the Naira Annihilators fight for? Oh, is this the squad who's coming after Naira? <laughs> there's I'm just saying it was a little unclear to me that the Naira Annihilators were Naira's Annihilators. That's how I took it. That is how I took it. <laughs> Oh, that is how you took it? Yeah. I'm just saying, maybe don't name your squad after your own death. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> anyway, that's who Primrose and Eglantine have to run from while carrying 
a perfectly spherical sacred orb egg uh-huh. through a forest fire mm-hmm. in the beaks, which we are now told looks like Hagsmire. Uh-huh. So, the perfect perfect place of temptation, right? Yes. The place that gives you anything you uh-huh. want. And now it reveals its true self. It's Hagsmire now. Yeah, that's. I thought that was so poetic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Loved that. Just like Eglantine was shattered, now the mirage has been shattered. Ding, ding, ding. So don't, yeah, don't you love these perfect thematic parallels? Like, there's so much going on here, literary-wise. I love it. It's great. It, it, the name, this is where I talk a little bit about Anaphora. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of chapter 15 is Piece by Piece. Mm-hmm. And Anaphora is the repetition of a phrase. Usually you start with that phrase, and then you uh-huh. finish it off differently. And this phrase, piece by piece, comes back from Soren, comes back from Ezrib, comes mm-hmm. back from Eglantine, and you're supposed to get all these, you know, oh yeah, everybody's mm-hmm. help helping out Eglantine piece her mind back together, and yeah. like, grow as an owl, and mm-hmm. become a better owl, and be worthy of being a guardian. Which, uh, to be clear, I'm not at all against that, uh-huh. it's beautiful, but also... When we have the first half of this book where the whole discussion is, like, mental health and being gaslit and falling apart. I mean, it's a kid's book, but it happens too easily for my tastes. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, if it weren't to happen easily, then this book could be another, you know, hundred pages long. and That'll be too long and it'll get split into two books. And then you'd have terrible pacing issues like we saw with books one and two. You're right. And I know you're right. Or books two and three, maybe. Uh, but the anaphora here is, is, it's, it's like a shortcut. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a montage. Yeah. But in a book of, and here we go. Now everything is better and fine. Uh-huh. And now the band is here in the forest fire ready to help. Piece yeah. by piece. Well, we had to get the band into the action at some point because they haven't really done anything in this entire book. It's true, yeah. These are the first chapters we really start getting from Soren's perspective. Uh-huh. And they're the hardest to read, because that's where all of this ridiculous vocabulary starts coming in, and these mm-hmm. long passages of description. Oh, Soren's been spending a lot more time reading, so he's developed his vocabulary a lot from, like, when he was a little guy at St. Aggie's. Impressed so, like, by Gilfie's big words. Mm-hmm. So now he's picked up some big words of his own, and it comes out in the narration. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. <sighs> so, did Eggie tell anyone where she was going? I guess they knew that Primrose was missing, and then Eglantine heads off for the beak, so they're all like, oh, well, that's where Primrose is going they, to be. No, there was, like, a whole tracking party that happens for a few pages. Mm-hmm. Digger finds a feather and, like, somehow immediately knows it was Eglantine's feather because he picked her up once when he was on search and rescue. It tastes like her. <laughs> no, there's, like, a whole tracking sequence, and they do figure out, oh, Eglantine and Primrose rested here, and that indent could only be the indent of an egg. So, like, it's it's yeah. a little hand-wavy. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's a perfectly spherical egg. How did you know that a perfectly round thing is an egg? I would not know that. What I else guess is going to be that owl. round? That an owl's going to be carrying not, around? Not an owl egg. Owl eggs are not perfectly round. Oh, I almost forgot the most important part. Yeah? They find a pure one squadron. 
Uh-huh. Obviously, they can't follow that squadron. The squadron will see them and know immediately. Mm-hmm. So what do they use to follow this squadron? Um, crows? Gannets. Ooh, gannets. Do you know what a gannet is? Uh, some kind of bird. It's like an albatross. Oh, nice. It's like a big, big seabird. Like mm-hmm. gliders. Um, yeah, I have to read this gannet to you. So, they go through this whole song and dance, literally, of meeting beaks and taking certain numbers of steps forward. There is a whole, like, manner and etiquette to talking with a gannet. And, like, these books have made it clear. We don't talk about crows. Crows are all bad. We don't talk to seagulls. Seagulls are dumb. But gannets... Tell me, sir, said Baron, do you think you were spotted? Oh, most certainly. It is hard for white wings of my breath to go unnoticed, as I am sure you must understand being a snowy yourself, but it is common for gannets to fly inland when there are forest fires near lakes. The flame glare on the lake makes fishing rather easy for us, and we do enjoy an occasional spot of lake fish, so... I made sure to do a few feints at the lake to sustain the guise of casual fishing. Lovely, lovely. What a perfect gentleman. (laughs) We're in a war zone. (laughs) Right next to a forest fire. (laughs) Yeah, they like the fire. It makes the fish come out. And we've been told the whole time that, like, other birds are lesser birds. Look at these silly puffins and these murderous crows. These dum-dum seagulls. This very fancy gannet. (laughs) I would just like to point out that uh, victory here comes at the aid of lesser birds. And since the whole analogy of these books is race, that still sits uncomfortably with me. Yup. Well, thank you, helpful... Thank you to the better-educated gannets. They must have a proper finishing school. So, the very obviously British gannets um, give us the information to lead our next owl vocab word. Are you ready? Wait, I understand why the gannets want to help, though. Because their uh, prime minister is already an owl. <laughs> very, very much so. Have we met a more British bird than the gannet? Is this squad we're tracking the Naira Annihilators? It is the Naira Annihilators. With Naira! It's like an SNL skit show. Uh (laughs) The late night commentary with Naira and her Annihilators. The Annihilators would be a good name for like a backup band. (laughs) The opening to the main concert, Naira? Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, this gannet um, gives us the information we need to be able to pull off our next owl vocab word. Ooh. A peg out. Um. Well, that's how you win in cribbage. Oh, jeez, you're right. Okay, it's also that. But I don't think the owls play cribbage. Interesting. Uh, It's clearly some sort of tactic. Probably a searching tactic, something like a grid grid search. It is to do... Actually, what they're going to do is take Naira's strongest ability, the strongest Mm -hmm. ability of all barn owls, and use it directly against her. 
Oh, we're going to make a lot of sounds a lot of different places? Yes. In two different languages. Uh-huh. So they decide to not only do Hulian, which is like the common speech of the owl world mm-hmm. down here, they're also going to do Krakish. Ooh, is that a northern language? Exactly. It's the northern dialect, um, which they know Naira knows, and they have a handful of owls that know it themselves. So they're going to scatter out their owls, and then they're going to talk in different dialects as though they were giving orders to a massive battalion. But they're going to do it very quietly. Yes, yes. As though it was supposed to be secret. Mm -hmm. And peg out. Yeah. So they are... (laughs) <laughs> they divide themselves into six divisions with sub-squadrons up to four and just start giving fake orders all around the forest. Uh-huh. And nobody questions, like, how they got here mm-hmm. or how an entire massive battalion showed up without any of the pure ones knowing. And also, I don't, I'm not sure the... Tree has a battalion that large they could rally right now. No, I get the impression that most of them died after the uh-huh. siege. Like, a lot of people died at the siege, right? Mm-hmm. People were starving. And the Pure Ones should have a pretty good sense of that, right? And, like, there's not a ton of Pure Ones here, but there's more than there are Guardians. Uh-huh. Uh, they had to keep it kind of under wraps because this whole Gaslight Eglantine thing was, you know, sort of secret. It's mm-hmm. my mission. So that is our end game setup. Here we are. In the Hagsmire version of Mirror Lakes. Mm-hmm. Everything's on fire. It's a dark and stormy night. We've got a battalion of, of pure ones. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't really seen Clud up to this point. He's uh-huh. not present. Yeah. Uh, and we learn why later. We have a skeleton army in the sky. (laughs) We have a skeleton army in the sky. (laughs) And we have about 24 guardians with no battle claws here to rescue Primrose and Eggie, who are carrying an egg through a forest fire. Because I guess when they left, they didn't know this was necessarily going to be a combat mission. Right. Yeah, they didn't know what they were running into until Mm -hmm. they got there. Even though, at this point, you're at war. Just bring battle claws with you everywhere. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Then again, does lightning hit battle claws in the air? We never and also, decided. And I bet they're pretty uncomfortable to wear for, like, long periods of time. They do mention periodically that it's it's you have to learn how to fly with the weight of battle claws. Mm-hmm. So that's our in-game set piece. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, I think the Guardians have this clean. They've got superior tactics. They got superior training. They have the egg. What could possibly go wrong? And they're fighting in a forest fire. The Guardians love to fight in forest fires. What could possibly go wrong? Hard-boiled egg? Very much so. So Eglantine refuses multiple times to multiple people to drop this egg. Mm-hmm. They know that if they leave the egg behind and, and run, they could probably get away. Mm-hmm. Because Nyro would stop. Her whole battalion would stop. They would all go to the Sacred Orb. Eglantine also knows that in the long run, they lose power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is just basically losing a skirmish. They've lost information to the Pure Ones. They've lost time. Right. And I'm sure Aki just feels like, I have to get something positive out of this. And then... I'm gonna read... So, I'm, I'm gonna read this the way I read it. Uh-huh. 
and just get your reaction. Yeah. I'm going to read through the end of this chapter and the very beginning of the next. Mm-hmm. Which chapter is this? This is chapter 20 going into chapter 21. And now their voices from the flames were coming to her. It was Soren's voice. Drop the egg! Drop the egg! I can't! I can't! It gives us power, Soren! Power! Then she heard a sterner voice. Great Glocks, it's Boron! Drop the egg! That is a command! But their voices were now very dim in Eglantine's head. Her gizzard stilled her eyes fixed on the most beautiful sight she'd ever seen. Flames, leaping joyfully, freely. They wound like the most gorgeous banners into the blackness of the night, for, indeed, the conflagration that raged around her was pulling the deadliest trick of all. Eglantine was flame-dazed, and halfway to being completely fire-blinked. She saw only beauty. She felt no heat. The fire was leaping from treetop to treetop. Eglantine's treetop was next. It's crowning, Soren yelled in a hoarse voice. It's crowning, Eglantine. You'll be burned alive. Um, have we heard the term fire blinked before? We have not, but I feel like that one's pretty context. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. But I feel like it's a thing that we've had uh, at least gestured at before. Right. If we have blinked, like, then I we feel like we've know. had Soren enraptured with the beauty of flame before, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Straight into chapter 21. Mm-hmm. Nyra looked at the shattered fragments of eggshell at her feet. That's the jump we get. Uh-huh. Eglantine's going to die. Never mind. She committed child murder instead. Let's examine this for a uh-huh. second. I mean, it doesn't sound like she was even in a place where she was doing anything intentionally. No, absolutely not. But I want to remind you, 20 pages ago, we had that stupid death conversation again. Yeah, yeah. So we were just talking about what makes death justified and and being able to die for something. This is not a dying for something. At all. I don't... This is just... A death from. This is just loss. I mean, do we know if this egg was even alive to start with? Uh, Naira certainly thinks it was, but it was also Mm -hmm. Naira's kid. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, mm. But Eglantine also kind of treated it, like, she makes a comment about, I'm an aunt. Uh Uh-huh. Like, she knows what this egg is. Yeah, yeah. And And I'm in no way saying that Eglantine shouldn't have dropped the egg to save herself. Mm-hmm. I think you're right that there wasn't a whole lot of choice being made there. It's kind of so- what how I interpret that, not having read the rest of that chapter, is that she went fire blinked, her body went a little lax, and whoop, there goes egg. That would make sense, because she was actively saying, no, I won't drop it. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder, even from a writing perspective, why skip that reaction. Uh-huh. Because we don't. I, I wonder in the next book if we will get that reaction. Mm-hmm. But we don't, in the end of this book, get Eglantine's perspective on what it feels like to drop an egg. Mm-hmm. And and this is what Primrose did. Well, if she did go kind of fire blink, she might not really remember. That's true. And, and her, she is pretty shattered. Yeah. I would be interested in Eglantine's perspective here. Mm-hmm. And I would love to have a scene with Primrose, since 
uh, when we got Primrose's backstory, that's what mm-hmm. Prim was trying to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she and she just didn't have the, the strength. Yeah. She was just an outlet. Mm-hmm. She was trying to carry an egg to yes, safety and dropped her it. her sibling, right? Mm-hmm. Her own sibling, and she was trying to save them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was from St. Aggie's, too, right? She was also fleeing... Uh, I don't think so. I would have to go back and read it again. It might have just been a fire. It was near the Great Downing, and I think it was a fire, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because the pure ones like to set fires. I don't think they do. They don't really know how. Or St. Aggie's. Someone likes to set fires to try to get extra outlets, I thought. Oh. I might be wrong about that. Maybe I'm wrong about that. No, it's still an interesting interpretation. I kind of like it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't think either the Pure Ones or St. Aggie's know enough about fire to be able to consistently set one. I guess. I might be remembering completely wrong there. But yeah, after that egg falls, that's kind of it. Like, does someone grab Aggie from the top of that tree? How, How does she live there? Unclear, because the entire half of the next chapter is all Naira. Mm-hmm. And then it jumps straight back to Ezelrib in the hollow. So uh-huh. we don't get any of the, like, post-battle, you know, yeah. de-escalation or, oh my gosh, Eglantine, I'm so, so glad you're mm-hmm. safe. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry I made you feel unwanted. Like, none of that mm-hmm. happens anywhere here. Yeah. So I'm going to expect a lot of that in the next book. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I might be disappointed. Uh-huh. I think it's an interesting decision regardless. I wonder why. Yeah, I I wrote that down. I wondered Mm -hmm. why the decision was made to skip it. Is it too heavy Uh, when we consider how heavy the rest of this book has been? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking like, yeah, why do we stop Eggie's story there? And is it that she has reached a resolution even as she starts to get fire blinked of like, her family is there for her. There's one group of people who are who are trying to help her, trying to help her do something she doesn't want to do, but trying to get her to save herself, and that is Soren and Boron and the Kahul tree. Which does kind of put a weakness in your theory that she's fire-blinked and drops it, uh-huh. like kind of yeep. Yeah. Um, because that takes away her agency, mm-hmm. and she's lacked, a- like that's been the problem for her. She has lacked agency, and she needs it. I don't think... But also with what we've seen all the way through this book is that uh, she so desperately wants her family. Yeah. That, and this egg is family. Like, it's a terrible, it's could be a terrible part of her family. It's scary. It's unknown. But she makes the acknowledgement, But I don't think too. she's going to willingly drop it. So you're right. right. I think I would rather go with the her going fire blank to going geek. And yeah. Because she makes the acknowledgement of, like, this owlet's only chance is mm-hmm. if we get it to the tree. Mm-hmm. If it can be raised at the tree. She does yeah. the whole danger versus mm-hmm. nurture argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want somebody to uh-huh. acknowledge that they just dropped a baby. Uh-huh. You know? Yes, an uh, interesting moment because it is kind of Eglantine stuck in a place where there is no decision that she is willing to make. She's not yeah. willing to drop the egg. She can't keep the egg because, like, she is finally, like, truly cornered. Right. So she can't escape with... a fire crowning with the egg. Mm-hmm. The only option is drop it. Yeah. I think the only actual option there is like someone else intervening to grab her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think without an outside intervention, maybe I'm completely wrong here, 
that she would just die to the fire there because that's the only choice that she could make there. Are you ready for my pun intended incredibly hot take? Yes. Eglantine should have died. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it sounds like there. Um, though having that death not achieve anything would completely well, undercut so here's everything. My, here's my literary hot take. Yeah. Eglantine saves the egg. Uh-huh. She does that. Mm-hmm. She rolls it to safe way, safety. She makes a choice. She gets mm-hmm. that agency to say, no, you, t- Primrose, you take this. Mm-hmm. A, that means Eglantine makes a choice. She uh-huh. gets that power back. She has her, her sense of self back. Mm-hmm. That's important. B, Primrose gets to fly away with an egg and uh-huh. complete her backstory. Yeah. Three, now we have the egg, so we have, like, a direction to go with in the next book. Mm-hmm. We get a different direction. I think that this would be better. <laughs> so that's my heart. That's how I would Yeah, no, personally. I like that. I like um, that. I realized these books were never going to kill Soren's sister. Mm-hmm. I kind of think they should have. Yeah, yeah. kind of think they should have. We were willing to kill other owls in the past. It's been a while, but, like, Yeah, but we no main character owls. Also, we killed an owl in the previous book. Which owl did we call it? Strixstruma. Oh, that's true, yeah. But again, not, not like a And that's owl. about as far as we're willing to go with killing off yeah. owls, you know? It, within the scope of the series. I think this was the time for a main character death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But no, we skip over all of that. We go straight to Nyra, and then straight to Ezelrib, and then straight to Dulap. Uh-huh. Alright, so Nyra, very angry, very distraught, you know vowing that she will, you know, kill Eglantine, get her vengeance. Yep. Yep, that, all accurate. That scene writes itself. Does yep. Clud show up? Um, Clud does not show up. Um, we are told that they are going to fly into the distant lands known as Beyond the Beyond, where the Pure Ones had uh-huh. secured a stronghold. Um, I think that's where wolves live. It is where wolves live. I've seen that on the back of the books. Well, actually, they're dire wolves, not werewolves. Did I say werewolves? You said it's werewolves live. <laughs> but no, no Clud. No Clud yet. So where's Clud? What has Clud been doing? We find that out after Dulap. Yeah. We go to Ezelrib next, and we have our alright, uh, we're all back. Uh. We get a little bit of philosophy from him, too, about yep. the things fire is used for. Mm-hmm. Cooking eggs. That's so dark. Don't you think it's rather ironic that years ago, I hung up my battle claws, hid them away in the back chamber of that hollow, and now something even more destructive, more deadly than battle claws has been invented. Not to mention the flex glocks. Those flex are dangerous. So it's it's like his reminiscing on his old life and Mm -hmm. how violence is cyclical. Uh huh. But modern weapons of war make it so much more devastating. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So he's going to pass his battle claws on to Soren. Well, yes, of course. And take him on as a ward. That hadn't already happened? No, it happens officially now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Alright, so yeah. We have some good wrap up with Ezra. Do we even see Eglantine in this last bit at the whole tree? I was flipping through trying to remember. And the answer is yes, very briefly. Right. Um, once just, we get to Dulap. Just to confirm that she's not dead. She's not dead. And that's, I mean, I jumped straight from one sentence to the other. That's all uh-huh. we get. Uh-huh. It's really unclear. Yeah. 
uh, I had to get to the end of the book to find out. But we do get to see Dulap again before we get to crown Eglantine as a real guardian TM. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like I remembered from the book. <laughs> yeah, so Dulap had like completely gone hollow, basically. Yes. As hollow as her bones. Yes. Um, you didn't even acknowledge it. As hollow as her bones, that's really good. <laughs> well, they don't use it in the book. Yeah, but I'll, I'm gonna title my whole fanfic that. As hollow as her bones? Uh-huh. That is metal AF, you should definitely do that. Yeah, that will be my, uh, Gahul X Dark Souls crossover fanfic. <laughs> Blah, 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 blah. But then the owls gasped as they simultaneously realized that the pile of dirty gray feathers in the corner of the chamber was attached to a bird. And that bird was the owl Dewlap. What in Glox's name had happened to her? She had once been a rich, lustrous brown color, shot through with streaks of white, but all of her brown feathers had turned gray, and her amber eyes had turned the color of mud. I think we even talked about this a little bit last episode. Yeah. Her head jerked in palsied movements. That was one of my favorite descriptions yeah. in this book. Um, that description really sounds like a puppet from Labyrinth. That's that's what I'm imagining in my head. Not a specific puppet, but just like, that's a puppet that would be in Labyrinth. <laughs> just, a just a really pile sad of feathers with owl. a bird head, kind of <laughs> bouncing its head around. I do, yeah, I do love a good Jim Henson. Uh, you know, kind of melted down. You know how ducks can kind of, like, melt down to the ground? And just become a duck puddle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as, like, a pile of messy, unkempt feathers instead? This is not shattering. This is different than shattering. This is heartbreak. Yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> Somehow it's different. It's when, um, actually, this this can be our last owl I mean, vocab. We don't have our hands on the owl DSM one, because I don't doubt they've made we one We need one, one for this book. Oh my gosh. Would you like to try and guess what heartbreak is for an owl? I mean, it's being really sad and feeling broken as a person. Because Wrong. you... <laughs> it's when you're eating a bowl. And you're enjoying those organs a lot, and then uh, the 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 heart gets stuck in your throat, and you choke on it and die. That that's death by heartbreak. Closer somehow. <laughs> it's when the heart tries to do the job of a gizzard. Oh. But the heart can't do it, so it breaks, but not literally breaks. You're right. You're right. That <laughs> makes that makes so much more sense. Yeah. So this is when we get our mission for the next book. Yeah. We're given this pile of feathers and told, hey, take her to the retreat of the Gloxian sisters. Now, I say sisters because this is going to change later. In the next five pages, it's going to be the Gloxian brothers. But no, right here on page 161, it says sisters, and this is a continuity error. Are you sure? Because, like, you could have, like, a monastery and a nunnery, like, like share some stuff. Well, first they say take her to the sisters, and then they say take her to the brothers, and I need them to pick one. You're being so pedantic here. That's my job. Pedantry is my job. Yeah, this one doesn't feel relevant, though. This doesn't feel like relevant pedantry. Do I have any more relevant pedantry? Oh, how about a trope instead? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. You remember that whole thing where I said Ezlerib is going to take Soren on as his ward? Yeah. That's how we end the book. Good trope time. Mm-hmm. That and Eggy getting uh her Oh, that's literally a sentence. Eglantine gets guardianship when the book says, and Eglantine got her guardianship. She was Man, very excited. Getting treated worse than Chewbacca. Right? <laughs> Sidelined. I feel, yeah. Give us 20 more pages to, like, sit with her interiority after she's come back and is starting to actually, you know, put, we, yeah. use some glue on those pieces that everyone was gathering up. Thank you! I feel like this is a, a constant reoccurrence in these books, mm -hmm. is that we have these epic set pieces and then no recovery time. Uh -huh. And then a really slow next start to the next book. Uh huh. So, we're gonna go take... Dulap North, and that's cover for, like, going north and getting allies. Yes, it's time to rally the northern kingdoms to come and sweep down and take out the the owl Nazis. Yup. 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 Go call in Norway and Sweden and say, hey, Russia really will step in at some point. <laughs> that well, kind of thing. It's more go, you know, work with Russia. If this, we're going up, if we're going World War Two, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Except and Russia's so busy doing its own multiple civil wars that it's like, hey, come back later. Hey, come back later, uh, later. Okay, your your history's not really right there. Like, yes and no. The Russian Civil War was World War One. pretty which Russian Civil War? The 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 one where Lenin took power. In the end. Okay. That was the whites versus the reds. That but was then like, Lenin got ousted by... Stalin. And Stalin yeah. was well in power by the time that World War II really kicked off. Like, Stalin and Hitler like Didn't made a Stalin whole pact about dividing up Poland. Not until after World War II. Oh, I thought it was during. No, Stalin was in power for a long time. You're right. I am thinking World War I. Because I was thinking Nicholas and... Yeah, no, you were getting on the yeah getting trucked over to Siberia and locked in a basement, mm -hmm. and then yeah, uh huh. But no, we uh, analogies to World War One are more like the wars that Ezelrib fought in, where it's like these wars were more for uh, political reasons, and mm -hmm. rather than like the existence of owl kind, yeah, of owl kind, yeah, the the defeat of fascism. <laughs> well. Those wars that Ezelrib fought in, like, that's what Soren's being handed. Yep. He gets handed, um, Ezelrib's old battle claws, mm -hmm. and literally they refer to them as the keys to the northern kingdoms. Yeah. Like, if you wear these and go to the north, they will know that you are my ward, you are mine, and they will listen to you. Yeah, it's the all version of the cool sword. Use the force, Soren. It's in your claws now. Yeah. No, more it's just like been... the cool old, so old sword. That means that people are like, ooh, yeah, you, you got something special there. And technically this is Odalissa's mission, not Soren's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's probably... Because she's like, the one who knows the language and yeah. the history and whatnot. Yeah, she knows so much that she's probably the best person to lead your diplomatic mission. Yeah, yeah. And we get the same, like, there are many kinds of knowing, Soren. Odalissa has one kind and you have another. And he, I, I'm not convinced that also, he does. So we learned that Soren has these uh, precognitive dreams. Yep. Did, were they relevant at all in this book? Like, I know he dreamed about 
a book going to the beaks, and, like, that's probably a hint to what's happening, but I don't know if he ever really needed that information, because then Primrose went missing. (laughs) It's more like he had that information, but didn't figure out that it was relevant until after Uh it had already happened. So, like, he had the star sight, and it happened in this book, but he didn't utilize it at any point. Uh Uh-huh. Which is very classic Sorin. Uh Uh-huh. That is, you're right, that is very classic in character for Sorin, never mind. Just usually he gets a point at the end of the book to be smart. And at this point, at the end of the book, we're told, no, Soren, really, you're smart. Odalissa's just a different kind of smart. Mm-hmm. But I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. It, you know what it feels? It feels very um Hermione talking to Harry at the end of book one, uh-huh. when she starts telling him, oh, me, books and cleverness, but you, bravery and kindness and courage. Like, no, Hermione, you freaking carried these boys. And we all know it. It feels like that. Yeah. Sorin got carried this book, and we didn't even get the, like, completion of Eglantine's arc that I really wanted. Yeah. And there's so much about this particular book to love. Uh Uh-huh. There's so much, especially writing-wise, that made huge leaps in potential. Mm Mm-hmm. But then we just let a shattered Eglantine become whole again, drop her nephew, and never evaluate anything the rest of the book. Like, we only wanted to deal with her when she was broken. My one thought is, if this egg was perfectly spherical, that's gotta be a sign that that nephew was going to be, like, super-duper evil. And, like, all these evil owls (laughs) are worshipping it. Like, that was going to be the owl anti-glox, you know? Uh, I mean, Naira certainly thought so. Yeah. So, you know. (laughs) You're just gonna write off this loss? Yeah. It's a hot take, I know. Well, I guess, okay, what it is is that at times these books expect me to take them very seriously, Mm -hmm. and then they'll do things like drop an egg baby and not expect me to go back to them. So so how Mm -hmm. much do you want me to take seriously? Yeah. You know? Also, I just found out looking at the back of this book that Scholastic used to only charge $5 for these books, and I would like to go back to that day, please. I mean, what date is this book? 2004. 2004. Alright, so let's go back to 2004 when I can buy a book for $5. No wonder my parents bought me so many books. $5. Also, these last few chapter titles are very good. The Peg Out, A Crown of Fire, The Gollymopes, The Living Dead. Oh, wait, we didn't do an owl vocabulary on the Gollymopes. Uh, it's never explained. Oh. Would, would you like to take a guess? Um, what's the context? Can you use it in the a Gollymopes, sentence? The Gollymopes is what Ezelrib has when he's, uh, debating the existence of new weapons and what it means to fight. Okay, so just general ennui. Yeah, absolutely. The Living Dead, The Passing of Claws. Sorry, The Passing of THE Claws. Pretty much everything by, from piece by piece on, strong chapter title. Mm-hmm. We should also go back to the days when all the books always had chapter titles. I know, chapter, chapter titles are always great. Uh, they're fantastic. Ooh, that could be good at the end of book six or whenever we want a new game. I tell you a chapter title, you gotta tell me what happens in it. Oh, maybe you should do that for Benecula. Ooh, yeah. So, I, are we done with the shattering? Yeah, we're done with the shattering. All right, done with book five. One more book and one I 
always think of as the main series, although we have plenty more to go after that. Um, but it's almost Halloween, so next week we'll have a bonus episode in this feed where we're going to discuss another childhood favorite. I'm curious how I'll feel about it now. Banicula! You gotta say it in a spooky voice. Banicula! <laughs> no, you gotta say spooky! I don't want to do spooky. Banicula! No, see, like, that's too scary, and Banicula's not that scary. <laughs> I feel like I'm giving it a proper vibe. Um, so yeah, so keep an eye out for that. Hopefully we'll have that out on the main feed on Halloween or earlier. I say the main feed as though there's a second that's feed. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, there is the Moonshot Patreon-only feed. There's all sorts of good stuff there. Like uh, our sister podcast, Unwise Girls, who does a read of Percy Jackson, which is pretty great. Yeah, check and it out. they certainly get their episodes out more consistently than we do. <laughs> They've been doing this for longer than us, though. They're professionals. Is there anything else we need to say? Uh, no Owl Fact Corner this week. Sorry about that, but Halloween episode instead. Woohoo! And also, it looks like we talked long enough about this book. As is. Although I'm sure I'll have to cut a good 15 minutes of dog interruption out. Correct. Producer Miles was not having it today. <laughs> so as always, Owlets. Uh, I got a couple more. Oh, you got a couple? Yeah. Um, thanks to Morgan Jackson for our music as always. You can find his music at we did the time warp again at .bandcamp.com. Thanks to Matthias Blissack for our cover art. Um, listen to other shows on the Moonshot Network. And thank you to the Moonshot Network for supporting us and just providing a lot of great creative energy and sources of collaboration. Hopefully in the next few months we will get to do a couple interesting collaborations. A certain discussion of a Zack Snyder film. And we're getting pretty close to a thousand listens, and when we do, we made a promise that we would play some owl dialect. Hoot hoot! I think I said that like four or five months ago, but yeah. that's still on the table, and there were some... Very fun people who wanted to in on that, so keep an eye out for that. Oh, we'll be back in a couple weeks or more. <laughs> Until then, listen to your gizzard. Hey, Jane. Hey, Jacqueline. What do you think the most significant YA book series like the 2000s to the 2010s is? Oh, definitely The Hunger Games. No, no, I mean like... Like, uh, Twilight, Twilight, that's the best No, one. no, I'm talking about the Percy Jackson series by Riordan. Uh, I've not heard of those. If I wanted to listen to a funny podcast about those, what would you suggest? Well, I would recommend Unwise Girls, which you and I host. This is a podcast where we reread, analyze, and frequently joke about the books of the Rick Riordan verse. And we see why people call these the best young adult magical series of the 2000s. And we always take time to declare which characters are canonically, factually, not cis-head, because Rick Riordan is not the boss of us. Listen to Unwise Girls every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the Moonshot Network.